0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors. So, if we've not met before, uh, let me just say it's great to have you with us to start off the new year. New year, new you, new series. So, today we're starting a new series on church membership. Uh, it's a topical series where we'll look at a number of different uh, sort of sections of scripture together. Uh, with the goal of recovering sort of the glory of what it means to be a part of God's family, what it means to be identified with His people—not in name, but in action, in life together. What does that mean? Why is that important? Uh, should we care? Should we even be part of a church? Uh, does does our level of involvement matter to the Lord? Uh, these kinds of things we want to be talking about. So uh, looking forward to it. Today we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, God's Glorious Church. Acts 2, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull one out from the seat in front of you and turn to page 531 and you'll be able to track along with us. Well, it is that time of year where everyone's setting their sights uh, on a new year, uh, setting their sights on a changed life. We go through this every year, the same time of the year. Some are cynical and say, I want no part of that. Other people are idealistic and say everything will be different because the calendar changed today. But ultimately, many of us are uh, take a new year as a fresh start to wipe the slate clean and look for life change. So some of the most common ones, obviously, people are uh, in the room. Some are going to want to eat better this year. Some are going to start a workout routine or restart a workout routine that you started last year and ended about January 15th, Uh, and you're going to start that again. Good on you. I hope it works out this year to restart your workout routine. um, You want to drop some pounds. Some people want to drop some pounds. Some people want to pay off some debt, get on a budget, uh, save some money. Some people set spiritual goals at this time of the year. Maybe you're one of those, you say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Wow, you did that a year too late because everybody that read through it last year in our church, we have a breakfast for you honoring you on February uh, the 1st. If you read through it this year, you're on your own, but uh, uh, may God bless you in that really worthy, appropriate endeavor. Some people want to pray more. Uh, Some people want to start their day with some quiet and meditation to think about the Lord and his word. So all kinds of things people want to do at the beginning of the year. But here's a question I have for you. Have you ever, if you're a resolution setter, have you ever set a New Year's resolution regarding church involvement? Have you ever looked ahead and set a goal, set a goal for participation Among God's people. I want to suggest to you that if you are on the fringes of community life here, or perhaps you're visiting uh, from another church, so in the church you are a part of, if you are on the fringes of community life, or maybe you've sort of dipped your toe into church life, maybe you're knee deep in the water of church life, but if you were to set a plan and a goal and follow through with a right heart and spirit to increase your participation among the people of God, I believe it would be the most significant, practical, tangible life change that you will experience, including personal Bible reading and personal prayer. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because when we read the Bible, we find out that all of the Christian life in all of its dimensions is meant to be lived with others. The Bible knows nothing about an Old Testament or New Testament faith that is individualistic apart From the people of God. It's not there. You don't have a Bible. You don't even hear the Bible if you don't gather with the people of God. And that's why I say communal experience and application and teaching. It's what the Bible, it's what the church has lived on and the people of God have lived on in most of its history. It's only the last few hundred years that people even owned a copy of the scripture for themselves. We don't see this because we swim in the culture, we swim in the cultural waters of individualism. We breathe the air of personal, private spirituality, and it's absolutely foreign to the scripture. We, we live in a culture that many other cultures in the world, uh, they, they can't even fathom how individualistic we are because they live in Commun- they, they live in cultures that are more communal by nature, that are more connected to family and generations of family by nature, that take more ownership in the village or the town or the city that one is a part of. But we live in a highly individualistic, mobile type of society, which is increasingly the way the world is, but not the way... The world has been most of its time and not the way it is certainly in the scripture. We want to allow God's design for life to shape our aspirations, to shape our desires, to shape our goals, to shape our resolutions. And so when we think about that, when we think about, you know, making resolutions, setting goals, whatever, uh, looking for life change, planning for it, uh, I think it's good to step back and ask, how did God create life to be lived? How does God want me to live my life? What is his design for my life? Because as a believer in Christ, I want to shape my direction. I want to shape my goals according to what his plan is for me. What does human flourishing look like in the scriptures? So when we think about flourishing, when we think about the good life, what is the picture that the Bible paints Of the good life. That really should be our starting point. Not what everyone else is doing or what I personally think would be a good idea, but what has God designed for me? It may be a lot of things, but let me tell you what it is not. It is not isolated, individualistic type of living. Rather, it is a living that is connected to God's people. And that's why we are starting the new year with a series reminding us of the high calling and the grand privilege that we all have of living not only in God's presence but among his people. And we begin today by looking at a passage of scripture, Acts 2 verses 42 through 47, that gives us a lofty vision of the Christian church in its ideal state. This is not the pattern that maintained, uh, you know, through every moment of the New Testament. Uh, It is an ideal state uh, that that I believe the Lord gives us as a vision, as a hope, as a dream, as a goal, as something to set our sights on and move toward. And uh, so you may be familiar with this passage. We've taught on it before. uh, But it is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Let's listen to God's word for God's people. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These verses that we just read, they come after Uh, some significant events in the history of salvation. So there's a context to this passage, and it's really important that we get the context to the passage. Uh, What's happened in this account that we just read, what's happened prior to it, is that Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, and Jesus has appeared to his followers. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus ascends, to heaven, So it's the departure of Christ from the earth. In chapter 2, prior to what we just read, Christ has poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. Get the, 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 um, the, his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and he pours out his Spirit. It's this historic event that is prophesied about in the Old Testament. And what happens is his disciples begin to speak in languages they don't know, they are declaring the works of God, and Jews gather around them who are from all these nations that have come to this festival, and they hear them speaking in their native tongue, like their their language from back home, and they're amazed and perplexed. What is going on here? There's probably a lot going on theologically, but but Peter stands up. Uh, Peter stands up and says to them. Here's what's happening. This is what the Old Testament said would happen. This is what Jesus said would happen, that God would give his spirit to his people. And so he explains to them, here's where we are on the timetable of history. This is the moment that the spirit of God is poured out upon his church, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. And then he transitions and and, uh, says, now this is what's going on here. And he transitions to preaching the good news. He tells them that you crucified Christ and that Christ has been raised. And now all that you are seeing is the pouring out of God's spirit. And when they hear this, that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, they're cut to the heart for rejecting him. They are they are convicted, we would say. They, they feel a godly remorse for rejecting Christ. And so they say, what must we do? We have missed the Messiah. And he tells them, repent, that is turn, turn from your sins, believe, he ultimately calls them to believe in what he's talking about, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then they do this, about 3,000 people are converted, and then we read the passage we just read. So what is so telling to me about the passage that we just read is that it describes to us what the Holy Spirit does after converting them. After converting them. The story of the Spirit Falling upon them in a miraculous way, 3,000 coming to faith that day. The events of the day are amazing. But I would argue that this, this picture of how they live following that moment, it's even more staggering, or certainly equally staggering. It's staggering because it says when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just come as a historic event, though he does that. He doesn't just come as a once and for all marker of here's God doing something amazing on this day, though he does that. But the Holy Spirit works following the historic outpouring and the birth of the church. And we see in this passage that God isn't just giving an individual spiritual experience. The Holy Spirit comes because he is building a people. He is gathering a people and building them together. And so when we read this passage in context, the point becomes more clear, that the Holy Spirit is given to draw people to Christ and to give them a new life, but then to empower them to live that new life in a new community. That it is not just individual conversion, though that happens and it's glorious, but it is the ongoing building together that God is about. The big idea here is that God sends his Spirit to create a community of disciples. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community. And so we want to start thinking about the doctrine of the church, we want to start by sort of having a lofty vision of what can be, of what God does among a people. And we also want to start out with an awareness of our profound need for the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, We don't want a manageable vision of the church. We don't want an attainable vision of the church, something that could be attained by the right strategy or enough effort or a great plan or a marketing campaign of some sort to get everybody excited. We don't want that kind of vision. We want to set our sights on the vision of Acts 2, a goal so lofty and so high that only God could make it happen. Only God could do what we read in changing these people's lives and building them together in the kind of community we see. This is why the Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is given to do what we can't do on our own. That's the whole purpose. The Holy Spirit comes to create new life, which we can't do, to change our desires, which we can't do, to empower us to live in a way that we would never live left to ourselves. And the Holy Spirit comes to build, these, to build us together. He doesn't just come to help me reach my goals for the year, though that's part of it. Certainly he does, if they're godly goals. Certainly he does that. But, but ultimately to build a people for his glory. So when the Holy Spirit gives birth to the church, look at what he creates. Here's the first thing we find out about these new believers. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. The first word is devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So if you just picked up right there, you might say, yes, be devoted. God's calling us to be devoted. Grit your teeth. Get your plan. You know, make it happen. But that's why the context is so important, because the first two chapters has been all about what the Holy Spirit has done miraculously. And so the implication is that staying in line with that that flow of thought, that development of the narrative, if you read from verse 1 of chapter 1, you would just assume right here, oh, they devoted themselves. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had changed them. That's the point. He changed them. They were devoted. Um, they're, they're not just sort of these kinds of people that are dropping in to a meeting when it's convenient to hear some uplifting music and a motivational talk. That's not, that, that may be common North American evangelicalism. That is not biblical Christianity. There is a word here of devotion. They really believe Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, everything changes. Everything changes. And it doesn't mean that now nothing matters. It means that everything matters in a new way because Jesus is alive. They believe he's alive. They, they know. They, they have witnessed this mass conversion, this, these prophetic gifts on display. Their heart has been changed from I don't care or I hate Jesus or I didn't know about him, something, to I love him and I'll give everything to follow him. I give my stuff. I give my time. I'll give my ears. I'll conform to his plan and his people because the Spirit of God reorients their lives into a devoted heart, devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Devoted. This is strong language. The word they devoted themselves, the word devoted, it it means to occupy oneself diligently with something. Someone who's devoted to something, that makes sense, right? They're devoted to their job. They occupy themselves diligently with their job. They're devoted to their sports team. They're committed. They're called a fanatic or a fan for short. There is a commitment to that. It means devoted means to pay persistent attention to, it means to continually be in. They were continually in the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. They were paying attention to. They were holding fast to this work of God in their midst. And it also the verb also indicates that they are continuing in these actions they weren 't devoted for the weekend of Pentecost, or it would have been longer than the weekend, but they weren 't devoted in, at just the festival of Pentecost, and then they went home, posted the pics on Instagram and said "That was a great time, and just moved on with life. There was a continual devotion in their hearts to what was happening and The verses that follow, verses 43 through 47, uh, kind of spell out in some ways what that devotion looked like. So there's a couple of ways to break this up. We could just look at the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, verse 42. But what I'm going to do is look at the whole section and sort of summarize uh, what I think are the headings that describe this community from the text. And I sort of drew these ideas from a commentator uh, named John Stott. The first thing is, or I drew the outline from him, not all the ideas, but the outline. So the first thing is that they are a learning community. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching, a learning community. The Holy Spirit creates a hunger in them to know God so that they are devoted to the teaching of the apostle, the apostles. Well, what's the teaching of the apostles? Ultimately, it's what's on your lap right now. It's the New Testament. It was their teaching of the Old Testament and explaining how it pointed to Christ. And then ultimately, several of them write, and, and, and future apostles like Paul, write the scripture for us. So really, it would be fair to substitute there they devoted themselves to what became the New Testament. Or they devoted themselves to the Scripture. We could say that, that. It was a teaching of God's Word. They wanted to hear the message of the Gospel. They wanted to apply it, and they wanted to grow together. Together. Look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they're gathering at the temple where ultimately, probably in an open area, the apostles are teaching them. That's probably where they're getting the teaching from the apostles. So this didn't last. Obviously, there becomes animosity Uh, in the long term. This doesn't last. There becomes a persecution in Jerusalem. Again, this isn't ideal. Uh, But... But here's how it starts. So they're gathering regularly, day by day, daily, to hear this teaching. And they're attending together. So their instruction is coming together with a community. They are learning together. I I am all for individual learning. I'm deeply committed to it. Deeply committed to it and and recommend it to everyone. I'm for private study. I'm for devotions. I'm one of the ones of in your midst who uh, committed last year to read the Bible through. I'm for that. I'm for books. I read books. I read a lot of books. I listen to some podcasts, some messages, some sermons. I read articles about biblical topics to grow and learn. I am for anything we can do to know God better and to grow. But in some ways, I view some of that as supplemental to the big picture of what God is doing on the planet. The big picture of what God is doing on the planet is not developing my individual life. The big picture of what God is doing on the planet is building a people for himself that corporately will be a light in the darkness so we think of the church as supplemental. We think of it's all about my personal spiritual life, and then I come to the church, and you as a, you know, you kind of provide goods and services for me to sort of, and we saw them all listed up here, right? So we have all these things that you're providing for me to sort of supplement my Christian life, I mean, to really help me with what's central in my Christian life, which is me and Jesus, and so you sort of, as long as you are serving my needs and telling me what I want to hear and providing me programs that I'm happy with and making decisions that I'm good with, as long as you're doing that, I'm here. But we, there's lots of options where we live. So is, if that's not going well, I'll find somewhere else. I'll go to a new store, a new restaurant, a new mall. I got other shop, uh, shopping opportunities. And I'll find someone else to give me what I want spiritually because the church is peripheral to my personal spiritual development. That's backwards. God is building a people for himself. This is Acts 2. Are they getting individual teaching? Yes. I mean, are they, uh, I, I mean, are they meditating on what they hear and applying it? I'm assuming yes. Are they praying personally, privately, in a private prayer time? I'm assuming yes. The Bible endorses that. So please don't hear, I'm not saying individual study doesn't matter, I'm just saying that God is about building a learning community, not gathering a collection of individuals who are coming to a learning center that just sort of gives them something to Build them up, but rather he is building a people that are learning and growing and applying together. They attend the temple together, they are hearing the apostles' teaching together. I, I, I want you to know, I am, you're, this is, Grace Church is a very encouraging and gracious um, community. And it is, anyone who leads here, I think, would say it's a privilege to lead in this church because folks are eager, folks are leaning in. And one of my roles is to do what I'm doing now, is to teach. And I'm always encouraged when people say something encouraging or raise a critique that helps me learn or send in a question for the podcast. Or I'm always encouraged by that. The most encouraging uh, words I receive, are, are, and I'm thankful for a great message, helpful point, this helped me. I love all that. That, that means a lot to me when someone says that. But the most encouraging things I hear is when I hear somebody say this, we were in our community group talking about the scripture that we heard on Sunday. And this is what I learned or this is what I applied or this is what I helped someone apply. That to me is the most encouraging because that shows that the scripture is forming us as a people and that the sermon has shelf life. That it's not we're in here for a few minutes and then we're done. We did our religious duty. But no, it's shaping and molding. The word of God is affecting a people who are then diligently, uh, after we use this illustration sometimes, after coming to lecture, they're then going to lab to to. Put things to use, to apply it, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to hear what other people heard and how they're processing the scripture in their lives, to pray for them, to encourage them, to charge and exhort them. That is so encouraging. It's encouraging to me anytime someone's a hearer and a doer. But when a group of people are hearers and doers and a learning community, then real change comes ultimately. There's a huge difference between reading a book and learning and growing in community. There really is. Are you growing with others? Are you growing with others? When Rob gave a list of new things starting in January at the beginning of the service, those weren't goods and services that we're offering um, for individuals to cultivate private spirituality. They all had a group component to them. They all did. So he said, "Now's the time to sign up for community groups." In January, we is a is a time where you can jump into one. Uh, why? Be, so that you can live out what we're seeing right here, and you can experience the blessing of not being alone. Reengage. What's reengage? We could just hand everybody a marriage book. We could just we could just send out a link to uh, you know a YouTube video on marriage and say watch this that will really help you that wouldn't be bad we just give everybody a book give them a video hey turn in a prayer card about your marriage we'll pray for you that's great but re-engage is an opportunity for people to come and sit together and and talk and together seek to grow as a couple in the lord privately during the week And then come and share how they can help one another grow in their marriage. There's a community. There's a learning community of application of Scripture. Reframe the same way, which is something new. But looking at how uh, how all of our life is integrated in the Scripture around the gospel, and in particular our work lives, a place where we can talk about that. We could have just sent out a link to the videos. Why is everybody coming together? Because it's a learning community. People are going to help one another apply what they're hearing. We have grief share starting up. That's for folks who have experienced a loss in their life. Again, we could give everybody a book on grief, and that would be helpful, and we should do that. But this is an environment where people can process and bear one another's burdens and hear from others and feel like someone's with them in their suffering. Powerful. There's other learning communities as well. He we talked about generous, uh, generous Living, which is coming up. Uh, Lorraine Bailey gave an announcement about the women's Bible studies, which those women's Bible studies is an application of the Scripture together with other ladies. That is the goal of the group. It's a learning community. And the goal is not just that I grow, but that we grow. That's the goal, that we grow. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And secondly, they were a sharing community, a learning community and sharing community. They are devoted to the fellowship, verse 42 says. The word fellowship means to share with someone in something. So it's a sharing that goes beyond the relationship itself. So you could have a friend and say, we have a friendship. But if what brought you together was some kind of common interest, then you'd have a fellowship around that interest. So maybe you're, uh, a, you and your friend are a foodie, and what you like to do is you know, go out once a week and try a new restaurant or something like that. Well, your fellowship is around food and trying new foods or, you know, a common interest. Maybe you golf and you've got a golf buddy friend well what brings us together is that we you know once a month go out and play golf so there's a there is a there's something that goes beyond the relationship itself it's not just that we're friends but we have a commonality food golf whatever it is for believers what we share is Jesus Christ and so we have a common discipleship and we share a common life together in him fellowship is sharing together In Jesus Christ. And so the church is centered around him and what he's done. It's centered around the work of his his death and resurrection. It's not centered around common ethnicity. It's not centered around everybody being the same gender, an all-male church, an all-female church. It's not centered around background. Everybody has the same background, and that's what brings us together. Absolutely not. It's not centered around the same socioeconomics that it's a church just for uh those who have little or a church for those who have much it's not centered around a common politics it's not centered around certain preferences we all like this one thing or whatever the church is centered around jesus christ And so the people that gather are to be diverse. That pleases the Lord that he brings together people of all nations, tribes, and tongue, a a variety of folks with a variety of interests and backgrounds who come together around Christ, build one another up. That puts the gospel on display around us. I love that. When the reality in your community group is we would never be sitting together in this family room on Wednesday night were it not for Jesus, which is not, not a way of saying, I'm, you know, I don't like any of you people, but, uh, but it is a way of saying without Jesus, I might not like any of you people. <laughs> I mean, it, there, there is this sense that, that is, there's something glorious about that that speaks to the Holy Spirit's. Work. Now, fellowship gets very practical. It's not in this passage. It's not just they all have Jesus in common, and they heard a sermon and went home. It goes on beyond that. Uh, it's very practical. Verse 46, day by day they were attending the temple together, and they were breaking bread in their homes. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous Hearts. They were breaking bread together. Now, it says they were devoted in verse 42 to the breaking of bread, which is probably a reference to communion. I'll talk about that later in this series. Probably a reference to that. Um, some people say, well, is the, are that talking about a meal together or is that talking about communion? That's a hard question to answer because probably in this time they were one in the same. They shared a common meal together and as part of that meal uh, shared the bread, broken bread, and the cup. So, probably they may have been going on together and it's hard to distinguish but in verse 46 what is very clear is that they weren't just doing that together in a worship gathering but they were in one another's homes and they were sharing food and eating and they were joyful about it they were sharing with glad and generous hearts glad and generous hearts They were also providing for one another. So they're sharing hospitality. They're also providing. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. So the poor in the community are cared for. As you go on through the New Testament, you'll see that what's being advocated here is not a sort of a um, political communism, an enforced uh, common Curse that everyone lives off of. People have private uh, ownership. Throughout the New Testament, the, the, the church meets in people's private homes, for instance. So people... Uh, certainly maintain private ownership, but there is this sense, at least at this time in particular, when you have people from all over the place gathered in Jerusalem, everybody may not have had uh, all their stuff. And so there is a, well, I, I can get rid of what I have to take care of you. The point is that there is a common care to provide practically for one another so they're sharing their food they're sharing whatever anybody needs this is what they are doing they're devoted they're paying constant attention to the fellowship their heart is in the fellowship their heart is in the people of God they're not just sort of gathering occasionally for a random activity there's a difference in gathering for a random activity and and enjoying a shared life together around Jesus Christ and a lot of what the shift is is It's not just an attendance marker, it's a heart attitude which overflows in togetherness. What what I think this is really saying is that it's a sharing community, that the church is a family. They're acting like family. They're having meals together, they're taking care of one another. That's what a family does. And that could be the reason that the most common designation for a Christian in the New Testament is not Christian. I think that word's used, I always forget, two or three times in the whole New Testament, by far the most common designation for a Christian is brother or sister. Why? Because we're a family, and that's what you see. They were a sharing community. This this grates on all of us from our background and in our culture. This presses against convenience. This presses against consumer driven Christianity. It really does. We're all. Let's just admit we're all challenged that way. We all want our space. We all want our time. We all don't want people up in our business and stuff. We all just want to do our own deal. That's just by nature who we are. We don't want to extend ourselves when it's hard. That's just who we are. But the Holy Spirit comes to change and give us the desires of Christ. And those aren't his desires. That's why we need the Spirit. Let me ask you this. What practical step is God leading you to in being devoted to the fellowship? What would a next step be for you to be devoted to the fellowship? It might, just, it, it might start with showing up. That would be a starting space. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a, a very tangible plan. We're going to have someone over once a week or once a month. Or if you have zero people over, once a quarter. It's just taking a start somewhere. Or maybe that's not convenient for you. and you're or Not convenient. That, I was criticizing that word, wasn't I? Maybe that's not doable for you. So maybe it's, I'm going to share a meal out. I mean, it's, it's the meal, and I'm going to pick up the tab. It's, it's I'm going to invite someone out. I'm going to include them. I'm going to take an interest in them. I want to be committed to our time together. Maybe it's providing. Maybe it's opening your home. Maybe it's meeting somewhere else for a meal. Maybe it's meeting a practical need. Who in the group has a practical need I can meet? So it's a sharing community. Holy Spirit turns their world upside down. Where all of a sudden it's about the Lord and what he's doing and those I'm joined to sharing. Three, it's a worshiping community. By this, I'm referring to the points in the passage that highlight their Godward orientation. So I think that would include the first devotion to breaking of bread, which probably it includes uh, the Lord's Supper. But additionally, they are devoted to the prayers. They're devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, there may have been set times of prayer they were honoring at this point. But when the Holy Spirit builds a people together, he will always build them together in prayer. Prayer is fundamentally our recognition of our need for God. And, and when we pray together, we're taking on someone else's need. We're entering into their need and helping bring that to the Lord. And they're doing that for us. So we're praying in an intercession for someone unrelated to either of us, as the case may be. It's bringing our needs and the needs of the community to God. It's saying, Lord, you have done this glorious work in saving us. You've thrown us all together in this new church, Acts 2. And, Lord, we're just devoted to you and recognizing our need for you. None of this continues without you, Lord. None of this continues without the power of the Spirit. We tend to be devoted to prayer. I, let me say it this way. I tend to be devoted to prayer when there's a really big need. Hey, here's a message for 2020. It's always a really big need. Your life is a really big need. And the moment you think it's not a big need, you're in dire trouble. It is always a big need, it is always pressing. You always need God to work in your life. You never got this covered. There is not a moment you got it covered, you got it in control, you're the boss. That's not Christianity. That's the serpent in the garden. You're the boss. You're in control. You make yourself like God. That's the hissing serpent, not the Word of God. So you're always in need. I'm always in need. It's always a season of prayer. There are times when we do special times of prayer. It's always a season for us to pray together. Let me ask you this would you say that that describes you at this point, or do you need the Holy Spirit? to really work and help you in this? Would you say, I'm devoted to the prayers, verse 42. If not, then this is, a, this, is a, this is something to ask the Lord to work in your life. Are you devoted not just to prayer, but are you devoted to community prayer? When it says they were devoted to the prayers, it's very, like I said, it's very likely these were set times of prayers, some of which would have been, uh, you know, they would have prayed together corporately. Are you devoted to community prayer? Do you pray for other people in the church? Do you pray for other people in the church? Do you share your prayer needs with other people in the church? This is the purpose of the church, for us to cry out to God with and for one another. Let me ask you a very basic one. Have you ever turned in a prayer card? Or have you ever shared a prayer request community group? Or have you ever prayed out loud in community, in a group for someone else? Have you ever invited someone into your life for prayer? Last week we talked about praying 21 days for Alpha. There's an opportunity to pray for something that's coming up in the life of the church. Have you ever followed up with someone that shared a prayer request? Sometimes a prayer requests can just seem like, okay, this is like the traditional Christian thing you do at the end of a meeting, so I'll check out now, yeah, he's got this, I got that, unless it's like a really big one, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, got it, okay, can we have some snacks? As opposed to really owning someone's need and like texting them during the week, hey, praying for the job interview, I know it's coming up today at 10, praying it goes well. Still praying for your little one, did she sleep through the night this week, carrying your burden. They're not only praying, but they're praising God as well. Verse 47, they are praising God and having favor. So they're committed to the prayers, and they are praising God. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We pray for God to do miraculous things in our midst. But if he's not doing today in our personal life the exact things that he may have been doing right in the book of Acts, there's still plenty to be in awe of The the, awe is not just merely tied to a dramatic healing happening before our eyes. Awe is tied to everything that is happening by the work of the Spirit. So they're in awe. They're praising God. You see this there's prayer and praise. It's like breathing for them at this season of the church's life. It's like prayer and praise is like breathing out to the Lord. So they are a learning community, they are a sharing community. They're a worshiping community. And lastly, they're a growing community. Verse 47: praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Their community is alive and it is growing. And I think what's so compelling about this is that evangelism in Acts 2 is not a program, and it's not something that just a few gifted people are up to, but it is the natural outflow of a living community. It's the natural outflow of people who are living this kind of life, filled with the word, committed to worship the Lord's Supper, prayer, praise, involved with one another, having, sharing a life together in and out of one another's house, making uh, room in our schedule and in our finances to care for other people, seeing God work in powerful ways and being in awe, which is you are great, Lord, living this way. There's a natural overflow. It spills out to the people that they know and that they connect with. The Holy Spirit has radically changed them, and now they're a community devoted to him, sharing their lives together, devoted to worship, and God is drawing people to their midst who are experiencing the same. See, when this kind of thing is happening, it's magnetic to those who are looking for Christ. And there's really one of two there's really one of two responses. When the church is experiencing like this, you, people are drawn into that or people hate it and oppose it. What they don't do is drive by and say, well, that doesn't matter. What they don't do is ignore it. They love it or hate it, but they don't ignore it because it's something that is happening that is unlike anything else happening around them. The radical work of the Holy Spirit, a vibrant community where people are changed by the power of the gospel, living out their faith together, and it provides a testimony that none of us can provide individually. Now clearly you can tell someone the gospel and they can believe in the gospel and become a Christian. Absolutely. So we can we can all personally evangelize. But but here what, what is happening is we can also show someone the power of the gospel in community in a convincing way. When people are caring for others, serving others, loving others who are different than they are, when people are acting in a costly manner for the good of the community, when people are learning and being changed by what they are learning as they apply it, together the gospel is on display and the family is growing. This is this ideal picture. The Holy Spirit calls the church to not only grow deeper but to grow wider. And we don't shoot for one without the other. They go together. We have this idea, well, is, is that a church that just does outreach but is shallow? Or is that a real deep church that I could never bring my neighbor to because they wouldn't understand anything that's going on? We think it that way. There's like deep churches and wide churches. The New Testament churches both going deeper together and the life of God flowing out to others so that they are drawn in to meet this Savior. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community as a witness to the gospel. All the goodness of verses 42 through 47 aren't meant to stay in the church, but to overflow to those who need Christ. As we walk through this series on the church, it's my prayer, and the reason I wanted to start with this text, it's my prayer that we posture ourselves as those who are needy. We're not going to get up here and do a rah-rah campaign to get everybody involved in the church. We want to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, these are not my attitudes, if they're not. These are not my attitudes. This is not the vision I have had and been living with for the church. Give me your heart and your attitude because I believe this is best. I believe this is how you've created me to live. I believe this is life to the full. I believe this is flourishing according to the plan of God. I believe this is glorious and worth investing my life and indeed giving my life for change my desires fill me with your spirit give me your heart for others give me boldness to reach out give me boldness to step out of what I'm comfortable with and extend myself to someone else give me give me the faith to take on the burden the needs of someone else and help me to know how to take practical steps to invest my life among your people so what is the next step for you Let me give a step for all of us, and then, so let's do two steps. You pick whatever, we're going to two-step here. You pick whatever is the next step for you in devotion to the Word as a learning community, the fellowship in a relational community, in the sharing, a giving community, in the growing and expanding and evangelistic and outreach-oriented community. You, you figure, what's the next step for you? Lord, what are you calling me to do in there? But here's a step for all of us to pray that the Spirit would empower us to experience what we read here. I don't believe it's just for that. I don't believe that. I believe the Lord could do this in any group of people that would look to him and admit our own inability and cry out for his power. Let's pray.